0: Matthew chapter 5, we'll be uh, looking at verse 3 when you get there. We're continuing today uh, the King's Sermon, and we look at, looked at an introduction of uh, the Sermon on the Mount last week, and uh, this week we're going get, to get into the first uh, message, the, the first beatitude today, and that is found in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3.
1: And Jesus simply
0: said there, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I want us to go ahead and bow to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day that you've given. We thank you for your love and your mercy. Uh, God, I pray that you would remove any distractions at all uh, today that would hinder your word from going forth and hinder your spirit from being heard. Uh, God, I just pray that you would guide and direct every word that I need to say God, I need your power this morning to preach. Uh, Lord, the inspiration uh, is in your word. The conviction is through your spirit. And, uh, Lord, I'm just your messenger today. I pray that you would just guide and direct uh, to every word that needs to be proclaimed and, uh, God, that you would guide to every decision that needs to be made. Thank you so much for Jesus, for these wonderful teachings that we have from him. And, Lord, help us to apply these to our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, the first section of Jesus' sermon that we're going to be looking at is known as the Beatitudes, and and this is the first Beatitude that we've uh, just read today. Now, when we think about uh, the word Beatitude, it's hard to tell exactly what that word means by uh, how it sounds, and I I want to go ahead and just kind of inform you on some of this. Uh, Beatitude almost sounds like it's a certain attitude that we need to adopt. You know, it says be. Attitude, And so it's, it's an attitude that we're supposed to have as Christians or, uh, you know, just whatever. Fortunately, it, it's actually uh, pretty simple to understand uh, what the Beatitudes are and, and what they mean. Uh, if you look at each Beatitude, you're going to see the word blessed at the beginning of all of those. Verse 3 says, blessed or blessed is, is how we're going to say it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Verse 4, blessed are they... That Verse 5, blessed are the meek, and on down through uh, the rest of those Beatitudes. Every one of those, you're going to see that word blessed. Well, very simply, the Latin word uh, for blessed is beatus. And from that word, we get the word beatitudes. And so the Beatitudes are just talking about the blessedness that comes along with following these commands. So I guess we could say that the Beatitudes, if we were to define them, the Beatitudes are the requirements for blessedness. The requirements for blessedness. And as we go along through these different Beatitudes, that's what we're talking about. That word blessed uh, is a key word in each and every one. Jesus made sure that He, he put that word in each verse. Uh, because, and then He's going to tell us how we can be blessed, how we experience that blessedness that He's talking about in these verses. So today, we're going to look at that first beatitude, that, that first blessedness, uh, and that, of course, is blessed are the poor in spirit. As we go along through this verse, uh, I want us, first of all, to look at that word blessed. Okay, Now, the word blessed is something that you know, we would think that we have a general idea of what that means, uh, but there is there, there are some, some very important things that we need to look at uh, about this term blessed and what Jesus meant when he said blessed are the poor in spirit. And, uh, and so before we looked at what uh, we look at what this word blessed means, uh, first of all we need, we need to look at what it doesn't mean. Right? Before we see what it is, we need to see what it's not. Uh, first of all, let me point out that this is not a promise of material wealth. Okay? When Jesus says Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is, and he goes on down through all these, these different blessings. Uh, this is not a promise of material wealth. In other words, you can do every single one of these, uh, you can apply every single one of these beatitudes to your life, and, and it's not going to be a promise that when you get done, God's going to add to you material wealth. Okay, That's not what this is. This is not a promise of a social status that you're going to be able to gain by doing these things or any other type of physical blessing. This is not a promise that hard times are not going to come to you. As a matter of fact, Jesus points out the fact that if you do these things, hard times are going to come to you. Okay? And so we need to keep that in mind. Blessed has nothing to do with the absence of, of hard times in your life. It's not a promise that you're not going to be tempted in life for sin. And it's not a promise that life is going to be without Stress. God doesn't promise any of those things. And that is not wrapped up in this word blessed here that we find in the Beatitudes. Blessed is often defined as happy. And although that is true in a sense, and we'll talk about that more in a second, although that is true in a sense that blessed means happy, it does not imply the emotional whims that we call happiness. Now what do I mean by that, emotional whims that we call happiness? Happiness? Does that mean that, that happiness is not real or that happiness doesn't exist? No, it doesn't mean any of that. What I mean is, is that what we base happiness off of is usually uh, you know, whatever circumstances are in our life. So when things are going well, when things are going our way, when we have plenty of money, when, when uh, you know, there's peace in our life, when there's no stress in our life, when everything at work's going great, uh, when our kids do what we're telling them to, when nobody makes us mad, and, and all these different circumstances come up, that's when we are happy. Okay? And then the next day, when some of those come on, guess what? We're not anymore. <laughs> we're not happy. And so happiness fades along with you know, troublesome circumstances. And uh, that is not the kind of... Ha- that is, I guess that is an emotional uh, feeling that we call happiness, but that's not the kind of happiness that Jesus is talking about here and the Beatitudes. And like I said, I, I want to talk about that more, of course, here in just a second. Now all of the things that I've lifted off, uh, listed off are temporal, and they are only meant to please the flesh. And, and I think that we want to look at this word blessed as being some kind of uh, thing that's going to bring us pleasure, uh, that, that's going to be some kind of physical blessing on us. I mean, that's really what, uh, if, if we were to, to be honest with ourselves, that's what we're looking for. And that's exactly what many people are looking for when they come to Christ or when they come to Christianity or when they come to church. They're looking for some kind for God to reward them physically in some way. I need money, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to church, and because I went to church, God's going to see that I was a good boy or a good girl, and then He's going to give me what I need, right? And, and that is, you know, very much how we associate, uh, you know, the spiritual things. Is that it's just a uh, the spiritual things just a, you know just an avenue to get to the real physical things that we want. And I think when we go through these beatitudes and we think about this, this word blessed, we need to to just completely wipe those things out of our mind. You see, those are things that the flesh wants, and that's not what God is about. Now, does God want you to have uh, material things? Yes, and He'll bless you with the things that you need. Does God want you to have happiness in your life? Yes, and He'll bless... Does God want you to have peaceful times in your life? Yes, He'll bless you with that uh, from time... You, you know, but that God's in, you know, whole goal in life or whole goal in existence is not just to make us physically happy or to do things that, that would lead us to that uh, emotion of happiness. Uh, that's not what God's about. You know, and this definitely, what I'm preaching today, is not a health and wealth gospel, and so if that's what you're looking for, you're going to be uh, quite dissatisfied today. And so it's important for us to realize what that word blessed does not mean. Now that we've taken a moment to look at that, let's let's take a moment to define what blessed is. And I know that none of you came here today for a Greek lesson, but I want to just share uh, the word behind here that that goes with this word blessed. Uh, It comes from the Greek word makarios, uh, and, and really this word doesn't have... It uh, doesn't have to do with the receiving of blessings as we might think. And, and like I said, that's why I wanted to tell you what it's not. Th- this word that Jesus used, blessed, has nothing to do with receiving blessings. Okay? It's not talking about, you know, God, if you do this, God will give you blessings in life. All right. Um, rather, its most basic meaning is, as we pointed out earlier, it is happiness. However, saying that, the Greeks did not apply this kind of happiness to mortals, and let's keep in mind that the Greek language, of course, came from Greece, and the, the Greek people who were, uh, you know, they were they were polytheistic. They believed in all kinds of different gods. They they worshipped, you know, all these different gods that they had, and they have their mythology. If you've ever studied myth, uh, Greek mythology and all that, uh, you know a little bit about their gods and about their uh, their myths and things like that. And so they, you know, of course, uh, elevated their gods to this certain status. And although their gods were very powerful, and although they were, uh, you know, they did, I guess, uh, give blessings to men and things like that. Their gods were not perfect. Their gods were not, uh, in any way, sinless. Uh, but, but they did this happiness that this word for happiness that Jesus used was a word that was only applied to their gods. It was an elevated, uh, I guess you could say, status of happiness that mortals could not uh, understand. Mortals could not feel or experience this level of happiness. matter of fact, this level of happiness was only applied to two different uh, types of people. And first of all, that was the gods, as we just mentioned, and then the dead. Okay, so, so when a person died, then they entered this other state of reality in which they could experience this type of happiness, uh, you know, the, this whole, this complete, uh, full type of happiness that mortals are not able to understand here on earth. Well, the good thing is, is that we're not Greek, and we don't believe in Greek mythology, okay? And Jesus obviously didn't either because he's telling his people, uh, who, who were very much real and very much moral, he told them, if you do this, you can experience this type of happiness in your life. To them, this blessed or, or makarios, this, uh, this happiness, was a full, complete happiness that people do not achieve in this life. Now, looking at this word from our theology, from our belief in God uh, and, and uh, you know, the, the, the theology that we carry and that we believe in, this word uh, does also denote happiness, but it is a divine happiness that is much deeper than our own. Therefore, the translators went to the next level, and instead of translating this as happy, instead of saying happy is the person does this, or happy is the meek, and all that, he goes to the next level, and he's trying to emphasize the fact that this is not just mere happiness. This is the next step up. And so instead, he uses, the translator used the word blessed. And that's why we're going to pronounce it as blessed, because it's, just, it's pointing to a, a more complete and a more full, uh, full form of happiness uh, that we can experience in our lives now let's look at a couple other notes on this word blessed as related to the spirit-indwelled believer
1: is a state of
0: complete satisfaction in other words it is a God-given inner joy that we are able to experience here in this life and I want you to know very, uh, you know, very truthfully that you in your life you can experience the kind of joy the kind of happiness that Jesus is talking about here in these verses. This old flip-flop thing where you're happy one day and sad the next, and you're, you're rejoicing one day and depressed the other. and all, you, know, you don't have to go through life like that. There is a, a sense of blessedness, a sense of inner peace and inner joy that God can give you and sustain in your life. It's real. Blessed in another sense also denotes the favor or the approval of God. Now, when I say the favor of God, I'm not talking about that God's going to like you more than He likes another person. You know, That's not the type of favor I mean. But we're talking about an approval of life. Let, let's first ask this question. Can God be disapproved of your life? Can He disapprove of the things you do, the life you live, the things you say and think and all that? Yes, He can, can He? And so if God can disapprove of, of your life, God can also approve, be approved of your life. He, he you know, uh, he can give approval of of the way that you live and, and the life that that you're leading, and that's also what this word uh, goes to. It's not just a not just an inner peace, not just an inner joy, but it's an approval. Uh, you know, God's approval of your life that God will approve of the way that you're living. Now, uh, let's take that uh, along with the beatitudes. If we look at blessed this way that it,
1: that it, it, uh,
0: it denotes a, a certain approval of God, that means that. Uh, In order for God to to be approved of the life you're living, first of all, you've got to be poor in spirit. There's got to be a a sense of mourning over your... Uh, over your sin in your life. There's got to be a sense of meekness, of course, that you've taken on in your life and adopted as well. There's got to be a, uh, a hunger and a thirst for righteousness in your life. There, there's got to be a uh, uh, something in you that wants to bring peace between God and others, and between uh, others and others as well. You know, All those things, all the, all the things that we find in the Beatitude, of course, are going to lead towards a God-approved, Life. Now let me ask you this question this morning. Do you want to have a God-approved life? Do you want God to approve of your life? Then these things are going to have to be applied. And that's what Jesus, uh, part of what Jesus was getting at here. The person who does these things not only experiences true joy in life, but also knows that their lives are approved by God. Now, I want to give you, uh, just based upon the study that that I've done on this word, uh, I want to give you uh, my definition of the word blessed. Um, Blessed is a God-given full inner joy that one experiences regardless of outer circumstances. All right, I'll read that again. It is a God-given full inner joy That one experiences, regardless of outer circumstances. Now, I'll shorten that in case you're wanting to write it down. If you want to write a shortened version of that down, basically, blessedness is this: it is inner joy, regardless of outer circumstances. The blessed that Jesus talks about here is a inner joy, regardless of outer circumstances. Now, if we look at that definition and that kind of happiness that Jesus is talking about and this foolish stuff that we do where uh, we only experience happiness when things go our way and we only are happy when we get what we want and we're only happy whenever uh, you know, people do what we want them to do and, and when we feel like God is blessing our lives like He ought to bless our life, If, if that's the only happiness that we experience, then, then guys, we don't know true happiness in this life. But Jesus says you can have a real inner joy that means that regardless of circumstances, regardless of financial status, regardless of whether people like us, regardless of whether men approve of our lives, regardless of what is going on, the storms that come around us, no matter what happens in our life, that regardless of those outer circumstances, we still possess an inner joy that only God can give. And that's what listen, that's what God wants for every one of us. You understand? I mean, this whole bipolar Christian stuff that we've got going on, we're happy one minute and we're down the next, and we're up here and we're down here, and just because some wind blows through our life, all of a sudden you know, life is just not worth anything anymore. I mean, that's, not, that's never what God intended for us. But there's an inner joy that we can have. And I'm not just talking about a goofiness where we're, you know... I'm talking about a real truthful inner peace and inner joy, a wholeness, a completeness that we can experience in life regardless of what goes on around us. And that's what God wants for your life. And, and every single time that, that, he use, uh, that he goes through a beatitude, he starts it off with that word, blessed. And so this is the definition, of course, that we're going to use alongside every beatitude. Now, having looked at the word blessed, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, let's look at what that, that means. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, again, before we see what it does mean, we need to first, uh, first see what it does not mean. As we journey through the Beatitudes, we're going to look at several words like mourn and meek and hunger and, and all those things. And these are not self-inflicted attitudes that we are supposed to uh, just to mimic and so as we read through, you know, I'm sure uh, throughout the years, many have come in and they said, okay, well, a Christian supposed to be poor in spirit. All right, so how do I do that? Let's see. All right, so I'll just put on a sad face, and, you know, and, and uh, uh, I'll go through life and, and you know, just, uh, just kind of be down and, and, uh, and you know, never, never be joyful about anything. It says, blessed are those that are mourned, so God must really want me to put a sad face on now. And, uh, you know, it goes on, blessed are the meek. And so, you know, it, but, but these are not self-inflicted things that we do. Uh, and, and that's why I wanted to differentiate between what we might think beatitude means and what a beatitude actually is. A uh, beatitude associated with blessedness It's not this attitude that we impose upon ourselves that, you know, we decide, well, today I'm going to be poor in spirit. So, you know, I'm going to try really hard to, you know, be poor in spirit. That's not what this is. Okay. Not once does Jesus ever tell people to be grumpy or grouchy. I know a lot of Christians who read, Jesus said, be poor in spirit. So they do the very best that they can <laughs> to be poor in spirit. I mean, they take no joy in life. Nothing makes them happy. They're not happy unless there's something to gripe about. You know, they're not happy unless there's something to worry about. I mean, you know, they, they took this in a, a much more literal sense, than I think was meant there. Uh, not once does he tell people to be grumpy or, or grouchy in life. And, and uh, you know, I think the problem when when people from the outside, when they look at Christians and, and we're telling them, oh, you need Jesus. You, you need Jesus in your life. You need to be a Christian. You know, and, and you've got all this stuff going on. i tell you what the answer The answer is Jesus. And, and then they look at you and the dose of Jesus you got and the grumpy face you've always got on, all the complaining that you do and the griping that you do and the gossiping that you do and all this other stuff that you do and, and just this bitter, mean, you know, self-righteous attitude that you have towards others. They say, why in the world do I want a dose of that? Why would I want Jesus if he makes people act like this? Well, here's the thing. Jesus don't make people act like that. And when Jesus says to be poor in spirit, that's not what he's talking about. And so if you're a Christian and you act like this, I think you need another dose, right? (laughs) Of the real stuff this time, maybe. You see, grumpy or or grouchy or uh, bitter and depressed and angry and, and, uh, and all those things, they go directly against the happiness that we just spoke of. Listen, if you've got a real happiness in your life, this blessedness that we just talked about, if you've got an inner joy regardless of our circumstances, you're not going to be nasty to people. People are not going to avoid you because you're grumpy. You know, they might avoid you for other reasons, but they're not going to avoid you because you know, you've got a bad attitude. Because that's not what's going to be coming out of you. Inner joy is going to produce joy outwardly as well. And it catches. And sometimes people get sick of that. Maybe they'll they'll get tired of you being happy and peaceful and calm and and everything that happens. But but, uh, this other stuff that we produce is not going to be coming out. Poor in spirit is not a false humility or a lack of self-worth. Now, we have some, you know, many Christians who, in order to elevate their status of righteousness with others, what they do is they pretend to be humble or they pretend to be, you know, have humility. And so you know, they'll, they'll produce words, or they'll say things, and, and stuff like that. And, and the point is for them to look as though they're being humble, but it really just makes them look self-righteous. Okay? That's not what Jesus is talking about either. When he talks about being poor in spirit, these, these are not the things that he speaks of. Poor in spirit, rather, is this. And if you want to write this down, poor in spirit is a correct estimate of one's self, as viewed from a correct estimate of God. Let me say that again. Poor in spirit is a correct estimate of oneself as viewed from a correct estimate of God. Let me say that another way. It's a proper assessment of who we are in light of who He is. Now, if we're just considering ourselves, we'll think we're pretty good, won't we? I mean, we're looking at our life and we're thinking, man, I might actually have this righteousness thing down. You know, I might actually be holy. I might actually be a good person, or I might actually be this or that. And that's what we want to believe about ourselves. And then we stand before a righteous, holy, eternal God. And we see who He is, and it brings us to a proper evaluation of who we are. It's a correct estimate of ourselves in view of a correct estimate of God. You see, when I stand before God and I see His righteousness, when I stand before God and I see His holiness and His patience and His love and His forgiveness and all the different things that that proceed out of His righteousness, and then I look at my life, I realize that I am an utter failure before God. And that if there is anything, if there's anything that you see that's coming out of me that looks righteous or that looks holy or that looks godly or looks... It's not me, guys. It's God in me. I'm not. He is. So am I, telling, am I standing up here and tell you I'm poor in spirit, so y'all need to be poor in spirit. No, that's not what I'm saying either. But I'm saying being poor spirit is, is a place where we come to, and we look at our own righteousness and we look at our own spirituality, we look at our own you know, works and things like that, and we realize that before God, we're still sinners. This is in direct opposition to what the world tells us to think of ourselves. The world tells us that you're actually a good person. There there, there is there's no bad people, there's just wrong choices and you know, that, that you are to estimate yourself as being here, you know, and, and you're to look at yourself as being here and, and your self esteem is the most important thing that you can have In your life, and like I said, it goes. And somebody's going to get mad at me for saying that, but it goes directly against what the world tells us to think about ourselves. To these first-century Jews, it was in direct opposition to what they were seeing from the religious people of their days. I want you to think about the religious people in Israel of those uh, days—the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the chief priests and all those guys. I mean, they they built themselves up and. And, uh, you know, they would go out into the, uh, the temple areas or out into the streets and things like that, and they would call a crowd in, and, and you know, they would begin praying, and they would, they would pray these long, drawn-out, beautiful, fancy prayers. And, and, and of course, they're, they're, they have physical wealth, of course, that, that they've, you know, uh, been able to achieve through life. And people look at them. They see the clothes that they wear. They see the wealth that they've accumulated. They see all these religious words that they're throwing out and and all these religious works that they're supposedly doing. And I guarantee you that people on the streets, fathers are looking at their sons and they're saying, hopefully one day I can be like him. Hopefully one day I'll be able to achieve the the spirituality and the religiousness that this person has achieved. And and that's what they were made to think. They were made to think that that true righteousness and, and all those things come from outer works and they come from outer appearances. And, and Christ said, no. That, that's not how it works. If you're going to be in the kingdom of God and you're going to live in the kingdom of God, there's not going to be any of this stuff where you elevate yourself and you look down on everybody else. There's not going to be any of this stuff where you show how righteous you are and expect others to be righteous like you. There's not going to be any of this stuff where, uh, where we have uh, you know, put ourselves in such a high position. And like I said, we just look down on and, and uh, we, we judge and curse others because they're not, they haven't reached the status that we have. That, that's not what Jesus wants in his kingdom. Instead, he says this. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And he used an example one time and he said a publican who was... and a Pharisee went to the temple one day and the Pharisee said, God, I thank you. I'm not like this other guy. I'm thankful I'm not as sinful and as low down and as disgusting and the scum of the earth like this other guy is. And this publican comes in and he just falls down before God and says, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said that publican went to his house justified rather than the Pharisee. What happened? The Pharisee walked in and he brought all of his righteousness, all of, all of his spiritual wealth that he thought that he had. And, uh, and he brought it before God and he says, look at me. Look at all that I had to give you. I'm so thankful I'm not like this other guy. Look at what I've done. I fast and I give alms and I do this and I do that. Look at how righteous I am. And the other one couldn't even lift his eyes toward heaven. But in, in sadness and in mourning, And in poverty of spirit, he beats himself on the chest and he says, God, be merciful. That's what Jesus wants. That's what his kingdom's like. That's what he showed as an example to others. Poor in spirit. Now, although Jesus was not talking about financial poverty here, poor in spirit can best be illustrated by financial poverty. Uh, and, and let me tell you what I mean. Those who are in true poverty have a keen awareness of how much they need God. You go to a person who doesn't have anything. They don't have much of an income. A- every moment is trying to figure out how to survive. You know they're working hard in gardens, trying to get just enough food so their family can eat that day. You know they're doing. And those people have a keen awareness of how much they truly need God. They understand that. They know they're in poverty. They know that they can't. And they're looking to God and saying, God, I don't know how our family's going to eat today. I've just got to trust that you're going to help these plants to grow, that you're going to give us something in our traps, that you're going to provide in some way for our family to be able to eat today and survive Now I want us to look at that in contrast to most Americans today. We we don't have to worry about that stuff. We don't worry about food. I'll tell them myself in my prayer time in the mornings. Uh, I have a journal that I do, and and I'll go down through and it'll say, "Mark your needs down." And I was going down through, and and I felt the need to pray for God to provide for food and stuff, you know, for that day, and to thank Him for for. The, that kind of stuff and this thought went through my mind and said well I don't really need food I don't really need him to get you know and and as soon as it went through I had to think God what am I saying you know how could this thought even come through my head God I need you're the only one who can provide for me and my family you see wealth what it does is it it produces a false sense of of self-reliance where we're not really self-reliant, but we've fooled ourselves into thinking that we've got it. We don't need Him. That's deception. When a person reaches that status of financial poverty, there's literally a place that you come to where the only direction that you can look is up to God the fundamental difference between these two uh, the two that I've just mentioned those in financial poverty and those who have financial security the really only difference between those two is that one needs God and knows it and the other needs God and doesn't know it you hear what I mean? One needs God and is aware. He knows. The other one needs Him just as much, but they don't know. And I think that's where many of us fall sometimes. Poverty is a keen awareness of our need for God. Let's apply that to being poor in the Spirit. One who is poor in the Spirit realizes then their true spiritual poverty before God. They realize that in terms of, of true spiritual righteousness, they stand before God as poor and miserable and blind before Him. You know, we, we look at that church at Laodicea, and you know, Jesus talks to them, and, and He says, you know, uh, you, you're kind of uh, on both sides of the fence. You, you know, you're either hot, uh, you're neither hot nor you're cold. You're just kind of right there in the middle. And uh, you know, He, he talks about it and He says, you you think that you are uh you have what you need and you think that you're, you're righteous you think that you're all these things he says but you don't know that really you you're in poverty you're poor you're helpless you're blind before god now it's easy to point at that church a lot of see and say yeah <laughs> man, they really needed God. But you know, I don't think that Jesus is just pointing out that that church in Laodicea was all those things. I think, I think it was just a realization that, that we're all that way. And they had just lost sight of that. That before God, and their works of righteousness, and, and what they felt was self-sufficiency and all that, really before God, they didn't stand as someone who had earned any kind of favor before. They, they stood before Him poor and blind and wretched being poor in spirit is that place where we we come before God and we realize that we're not being poor in spirit is realizing how spiritually banked we, we truly are
1: and humility.
0: We drop all the acts or notions of self-righteousness that we've been carrying around, and we understand that in terms of self-worth, we are truly empty-handed before Him. You know, every week, I believe that, you know, there's those here that, myself included, that we come in, and we walk through those doors, we've got our arms full. And our arms full of, of all the stuff that we've done, and all the look at me's, right? Uh, You know, this is what I did this week. Hey, I I prayed this many times this week. I read my Bible this many times this week. I you know I I did something good for somebody. I gave money to somebody else. I've been tithing and I've been doing this. and, And we come in. We've got our arms full with all this stuff, and we're bringing them before God, and we're saying, God, look at all that I've done. Look at all that I am. Look at all the stuff that I've done for you. Look, look, I, I'm a good person, and uh, you, should, you should have favor with me. There should be acceptance over my life because of all the stuff that I've done. And we come in and we bring that, and we leave empty. We leave and we, and we, we say, you know, I felt nothing today. I don't feel changed. I don't feel different because what it is, we've come in and we don't see a need to change. We don't see a need to be different. We don't, we don't recognize any type of poverty in our lives because we come in with all the stuff that we've done and all the stuff that, that we feel ought to merit His favor in our life. Spiritual poverty is when we come in and we stand before God and we drop all that stuff. And we throw it at His feet and we say, God, I know that wasn't me I'm poor I'm wretched I'm blind I, I would never have been able to do that God this is yours and I stand before you a lowly sinner that's what being poor in spirit is and we fall down before God realization of who he is and who we are Now the question is going to come up: How do I become poor in spirit? Then you told me I can't try hard enough. I, I can't muster up, you know, what it takes to be poor in spirit. I can't concentrate or, or meditate on being poor, and it just, you know, naturally come. How do I become poor in spirit? I'm glad you asked. The answer is: You don't. That wasn't what you wanted, was it? <laughs> this is what's so hard for us to understand. I think this is the, you know, one of the stumbling blocks that we really trip over. How do I become poor in spirit? You don't. Being poor in spirit is exactly what it sounds like. Spiritual poverty. You cannot discipline your body or train your mind to be spiritually poor. Why can't you do that? You're bankrupt. If I am spiritually in poverty, if I am spiritually bankrupt, then I have nothing spiritually that I can do to elevate me to a spiritual level, do I? I don't have anything. I'm empty-handed before God. So no, I, I can't discipline my body. I can't say, I'm going to try to be poor in spirit, and so you know, I'm really going to try hard to, to make myself poor. You can't. It's not physical. It's a spiritual thing. It's poor in spirit. And we've already noticed the the fact that you are spiritually bankrupt. You can't produce being poor in spirit. Is that something that you can do? If you can muster up the ability to be poor in spirit, what I'm saying is this. If you can muster up the ability to be poor in spirit, then the sufficiency would be in you. Listen again. If you could muster up the ability to be poor in spirit, then the sufficiency would be in you. It means that you could do it. Did y'all hear when I said you're bankrupt? Y'all know what that means? That means there's no money in the bank. Anybody ever been bankrupt before? All right, and you could try as hard as you want. You could, you could squeeze your eyes and squint and, and you, know, uh, you know, try to connect with the bank all you want, but when you check the account again, there's nothing in it. It's empty. You're bankrupt. Becoming poor in spirit then, as well with all the Beatitudes, doesn't come from you. It has to come from a working of God's Spirit in you. Poor in spirit is a realization of your true spiritual bankruptcy, but it's also a complete emptying of oneself. As one pastor I listened to said, he says, you have to be empty before you can be filled. You've got to be empty before you can be filled. You, you want God to fill your life with joy? You've got to be empty. You want God to fill you with His Spirit and fill you with good things and fill you with righteousness and fill you with art? You've got to empty yourself of what you think is. All the stuff that you bring to the table, you've got to throw it away. You've got to be an empty vessel before He can fill you with His Spirit. It's falling down in poverty before God and saying, I can't. I need you. We have to empty ourselves so that we can be filled with His Spirit. Lastly, I want us to look at that other phrase. I don't want us to skip over that. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, and this is just as important, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want you to understand that Poor in spirit is not only a requirement of kingdom living, but it is the very gate that leads into the kingdom. In other words, if there's a road that you could travel to get to the kingdom, if there's a gate in the walls that you must enter, above it's going to say, poor in spirit. It's the entrance. And this seems to be the hardest thing for people to get past the conversation we've all heard the conversation uh, that Jesus had with the rich young ruler uh, and, and you know he comes to Jesus and he says Lord what good thing must I do to enter the kingdom okay and Jesus says well uh, you've got to do this 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 and he said well I've done that all through my youth you know, even from a young man I've done that and, uh, and Jesus says well there's one more thing Let's just go sell everything you own give it all away and come follow me as the rich young ruler walked away from Jesus' greed because he had many riches. As I read that story and, and uh, read, you know, read that account of what happened there, uh, I realized that the conversation with the rich young ruler was not so much about his material wealth as it was about his unwillingness to accept his true spiritual poverty. Now I want you to listen, he had many riches. He had many things in life. He was very wealthy. And Jesus says, go give all that away. Go go rid yourself of all that wealth and follow me. And he couldn't because he had many riches. And so he walked away very grieved. But there is a spiritual application to this as well. Remember, this young man came up. His question was not, how much do I have to pay to get into the kingdom of heaven? He said, What ha- do I have to do? What good work? can I use as payment to enter the kingdom of heaven? I think Jesus' ultimate answer was, you don't have it. You've got to get rid of all that. He said, do this, this, that. He said, oh, I've done all that. I have all that. I think the answer was, no, you don't. And, and he's got to come to a, a point in his life where he realized that spiritually He's bankrupt he's got to throw all that stuff that he's achieved or he thinks that he's accomplished away and stand before God empty. Now after that the young man ran away went away, excuse me. Jesus said to the disciples how hard it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say it was impossible. He said it was it was hard. It's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. Why is that? It had nothing to do with the money. It's that feeling of self-sufficiency. Along with this young man's physical wealth, he also felt as though he had spiritual wealth. But before that entrance to the kingdom could, could come, he had to make himself small. Entering the kingdom is about us making ourselves small and realizing who we truly are. And listen, as I said, that's the only way. That's the only entrance. I mean, that is the gate into the kingdom. In the song, Rock of Ages, we sang this morning, we we sang these beautiful words in the second verse. It says, in my hand, no prize I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. When he came to God, he didn't come with his wealth and his worth. He said, God, I came empty handed. I, I couldn't. You paid the price on the cross. The sufficiency is in you. The wealth is in you. The ability, the salvation, all that is in you. I can't earn it. I can't gain it. In my hand, no prize I bring simply to thy cross I cling I want us to turn just very quickly we are closing but I want you to turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter um, 66 and verse 2 Isaiah chapter 6 very last chapter of Isaiah Verse 2. This is the Lord speaking through Isaiah's pen. And the Lord says, For all those things hath my hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look. I've made all. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my words. I've made all, but to this man will I look. Who? The one who is poor and of a contrite spirit. The one who comes empty-handed to the cross. and says, I'm a sinner. But you paid the price. And you are able. Some of you today have brought arms full of good works, good deeds, self-righteousness, self-worth, possibly hoping to impress God about how righteous and good you are that you may seek His approval. God, I'm a good boy today. I came to church. Look. This verse tells us that God's approval will only come when you drop at all His feet, yourself included, and recognize your true spiritual bankruptcy before Him. I want to read this verse once again. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's stand. Heads bowed, eyes closed. As the music plays, as God's Spirit speaks to our heart, I want to remind you that salvation is not a matter of your worth, not a matter of your spiritual wealth. It's coming empty-handed before God and saying, God, I realize that you did for me at the cross what I never could have done myself I heard a pastor say that this past week it rings so true God you did for me at the cross what I never could have done for myself that's where salvation is for those of you that are saved true living in this kingdom of God it's not going to be through you or through your ability or through what you could muster up to do so. It's going to have to be through His Spirit in you. And some of you today have heard this message where Jesus said to be poor in spirit. And maybe you'll leave today trying to be poor in spirit. I want you to understand that you can't. But if you're willing to empty yourself today, if you're willing to lay all those things aside that you you as being spiritual wealth, if you'll throw them down today and say, God, I can't, but you can. I want you to live through me. I think God can begin to do a work in your life that will bring you to what it truly means to be poor in spirit. Listen, I believe with all my heart as we stand here today, I believe that there are decisions that God is trying to lead people to make today. There are some that Jesus is saying. Listen, it's time right now for you to throw all that stuff on the ground and befall, fall before me, a sinner. And you've got the choice today. It's your decision to follow what to follow that exactly, or to stand here another day and refuse to do so. I'm going to stop speaking. I'm going to let the music play, the Spirit move in your heart. But I beg of you today, salvation is needed. Don't go another day. If decisions and choices are needed between you and God, don't put it off. I'd be glad to assist you, help you, pray with you in any way that I can. But this is time right now for you to respond to His Spirit. Will you come? Listen, I'm fully aware. I'm fully aware of what time it is. I don't care. This is a day we've set aside for God. And if He's moving in your heart, there's not anything that's going on after this that needs to hinder you from what He wants right now. Put the thoughts out of your mind that you're stumbling over. Give God what He needs and what He deserves from you today. We're going to have one more verse. Just One more verse of opportunity this morning for you to surrender to God's will today. Good to see everybody this morning. Great to have our visitors here, and let's make our visitors feel welcome. Um, It's a great day to be in God's house, and I thank all of you for for being here today. I hope that God has spoken to you through His Word uh, this morning, and and I just simply ask that you would respond uh, to whatever way that He may be leading you today.